Amen. Amen. Well, as we begin today, let's open our Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, the Sermon on the Mount. And we're going to begin uh, just reading the first portion of that as we step into this new series that we're going to be exploring together in this season. Matthew chapter 5, we're going to start in verse 1 and go to verse 12. It says this, Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. And he said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. The words of Jesus reveal the nature of his kingdom. And the nature of that kingdom is backwards to everything we understand and everything we value. It's the opposite of everything we would naturally think and assume. So if we want to know how anything is supposed to work, we have to listen to Jesus. Jesus is alive and He told us how to live. Well, good morning once again on this exceptionally frosty Sunday morning. It is good to be gathered to worship God, whatever the circumstances might be. And it is good to enjoy the warmth of community and the fellowship of the body of believers as we survive in this frozen tundra together. But as I was looking at the forecast... It looked like the longer I preach this morning, the warmer it will actually be outside when we dismiss. And by around 1 or 2 o'clock, could even be like minus 35-ish or something. So you're welcome, is all I'm saying. (laughs) All right, I won't quite go that long. But this, mo- uh, this morning, I am excited because we are starting this, this new sermon series, the red letter words, the words that Jesus has spoken to us himself about life, about the kingdom, about relationship and community and worship and righteousness and salvation, love and forgiveness and hope about how we should live and how we should see others and how we should see him. This year we've been looking at the Word, studying and seeking to understand the power and the purpose and the beauty of Scripture. These words that God has given us Himself, that describe Himself to us and all that He created, what He intended when He created us, 
how we were supposed to know Him, to be with Him, how we were supposed to worship Him and know life in Him, what He meant for us to do. And His promises for us of what could be if we would humble ourselves and worship Him. And also what it looks like if we choose ourselves rather than Him. God's Word is is good, it's rich, and it's deep. And, And to borrow an old metaphor, it's the Scriptures are a place where children can wade and grown men and women can swim. And the true depths of which we can never fully know because His Word is alive and in the Spirit it brings life to us as we meditate on it and fill our minds and our hearts with it. Transforms us and it shapes us. We begin to see things differently and to think about things differently. To become aligned with the nature of our Creator as He reveals His wisdom and His purposes. And so I hope you've been following along with us on this journey and stepping more deeply yourself this year into the Word, reading it and studying it, memorizing it, meditating on it, joining with others. We have our men's Bible study and our women's Bible study, youth and young adults, maybe a small group or a life change group or a mentor or an accountability partner. Even joining our daily Bible reading that we email. Let's get into it together. Because God's Word is power, and as we listen, we are made new. But we started in the fall looking at just the different parts of the Word, the different pieces, His history and stories, law and prophecy, wisdom and lament and worship, all different ways that God has spoken to us, different ways He has revealed Himself, all speaking the same truth but working at it in different ways. But then in the Advent season, we saw the truth that the Word is more than just a book. Jesus is the Word made flesh. The Word is a person. And we let Him tell us about Himself. We asked Him, Jesus, if you are the Word, then what does that mean? Who are you? And we let Him speak to that truth, looking at the I am statements in the Gospel of John, where He simply told us who He is and what that means. And now in this new year, we're going to continue that forward. We're going to ask, Jesus has told us who He is. He is God. He is the Messiah. He is the Word made flesh. He is here to reveal God to us. And so we're going to look at what Jesus has spoken, the things that He taught us. The ways that He instructed us to live. He told us who He is, and now we want to see what He said about all the rest of it, his teachings, about life and truth, God and salvation, the end of all things and the kingdom eternal. What the word said to us. The writer of Hebrews said, In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through various prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son whom He has appointed heir of all things, and through whom He also made the universe. And Jesus Himself said, Very truly I tell you, whoever hears My word and believes Him who sent Me has eternal life and will not be judged, but has crossed over from death to life. 
And when everyone abandoned Jesus because of difficult things, he said, Jesus looked at his disciples and asked if they would leave them too. And Peter said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Jesus has the words of eternal life and the things that He has spoken to us are life in themselves too. That we can know the very mind of God spoken to us by His own Son. And so that's what we're going to do over these next number of weeks. We're going to look at the teachings of Jesus. The things that He told us about life and how to live. And even that we could do in lots of different ways. There's four Gospels and there's lots of different things that Jesus said. And He spoke in parables and He performed miracles and He revealed the kingdom through His actions and the people He chose to spend time with. So there's lots of different ways we could explore this. But we're going to focus, try to, on the direct teachings of Jesus as clear and free from metaphor as we can. The things Jesus just flat out told us are true. Over the past couple of years, we've looked at the parables, and we've looked at the miracles, and this year we're going to study just His teachings. The times that God Himself stood here on earth and looked in people's eyes and simply spoke the reality of the kingdom to their hearts and minds. We're going to try to understand what He's calling us to see about Himself, about us, about the people around us, and what He's inviting us to do with all of that. We're going to center this study around the Gospel of Matthew. Each Gospel has teachings of Jesus, but in Matthew, we have some of the biggest portions of the teachings of Jesus recorded for us. The Sermon on the Mount, most of all. But Matthew recorded a lot of the teachings of Jesus, and we're going to kind of walk through this Gospel together and Matthew captured the heart of Jesus in a unique way for us to see in His words as Jesus tried to describe to us what His kingdom was all about. So we're going to walk through this gospel together looking at the different teachings that Jesus gave us. And as we do, I'd encourage you to take some time in the next couple of weeks. I know Penny already asked you to read 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. There's going to be more homework. I think we can handle it. It's the Bible. It's important. We've got to read this thing, people. But over the next few weeks, I want to see if you can carve out some time to read the whole Gospel of Matthew in one sitting. I Googled it. I mean, I did it myself and timed it. Sorry. It should take... Should take... Should take about an hour and a half. It's not that long. But if you can manage to carve out that time, maybe in one or two sittings, I want you to be able to find a space to do that because as we do, you're going to be able to place each of these teachings within that larger picture. A lot of the Bible study and reading plans and tools we have are little chunks and little pieces, sometimes a chapter a day or a few verses. That's good. That's great. And sometimes we can go over a chapter a number of times and really let the Spirit draw out truths to us. But there's something really important to reading a larger portion of Scripture as well and getting that bigger picture of how each of the pieces fit within that larger whole. How they speak to one another and inform each other. 
And I know we're all busy and we don't have time, but it would be a powerful exercise. It would help to ground you as we explore this gospel together. But the gospel of Matthew begins with the genealogy and the story of the birth of Jesus. And Matthew is a very Jewish gospel. Each gospel kind of has its own different flavor and thing that it's trying to accomplish. And Matthew is really writing to the Jewish community, really trying to help the Jewish people understand how Jesus is the Messiah, how he fulfills the things that they were waiting for. All the gospels do that, but each one has a different approach. And Matthew is very Jewish in his approach to that. And so he begins by grounding his gospel really deeply in the history and the traditions of the Jewish people and rooting Jesus to all those things, connecting him to the story of the people. And then he steps in to the story of the coming of the Magi and the gifts they brought for this new king. Matthew focuses a lot about the kingship of Jesus. And then he talks about the flight of Mary, Joseph, and Jesus to Egypt and the return to Nazareth, fulfilling another prophecy of the coming of the Messiah. And then he steps forward all the way to the story of John the Baptist and the inauguration, again, a lot of kingly metaphors of Jesus' ministry, his baptism and then his temptation in the wilderness where the devil talks about giving Jesus kingship of the whole world. And it's a really whirlwind first four chapters flying through the story and hitting these different things. Then he gets into the calling of the first disciples and then he performs some miracles and the crowds are really starting to grow. And then suddenly the first big solid piece that Matthew has for us after all of that flash through the story of Jesus is the Sermon on the Mount, this huge chunk of teaching where Jesus completely overturns everything we understand about everything. Matthew chapter 4 at the end says, Jesus went through Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness among the people. And news about Him spread all over Syria. And people brought To him all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering with severe pain, the demon possessed, those having seizures, the paralyzed, and he healed them. And it says large crowds from Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and the region across the Jordan followed him. That's an area of almost 10,000 square miles. No one had ever seen something like this before. We can kind of get a little bit far removed from how huge this thing was that Jesus was doing. We can kind of picture a couple dozen people on a dusty road out in the wilderness following Jesus around. There are crowds of thousands that might have traveled up to a hundred miles walking to see him, to hear him. Jesus was something to behold. They had never seen or heard anything like him before. And so he taught them. And when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on the mountainside and he sat down and his disciples came to him and he began to teach them. And he said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, 
for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you. When people insult you, persecute you, falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets before you. These words are the introduction that Jesus gives to the kingdom of God. Nine blessings that speak the truth of the heart of God and the nature of His kingdom and how far His vision and perspective is from our own. Each one of these blessings turns our world on its head and shows us that God does not see things like we do. And in the end, it's not about trying then to fit this into our world. But completely reorienting ourselves from our way to His. Our world values strength. We value confidence. We reward boldness. We value wealth. Self-sufficiency, the self-made millionaire. We strive for happiness, comfort, security, and we chase after people and things who promise us these things. But who does God see? The poor in spirit, those who mourn meek, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, the merciful, the pure in heart, the peacemakers, the persecuted. These are blessed. Where we can even see curses, let alone weakness. Our world requires strength to survive, not softness, not gentleness. How can Jesus say these things? Does he not understand how hard it is to live here? But it's true. And over and over and over, all through Scripture, God chooses the small and the broken to lead the strong. And he rewards humility and weakness over boldness and strength. Because over and over and over again, he tries to help us see that it's not about us and what we can do. It's about him. His strength, his glory, his spirit, his kingdom. Let the little children come to me, for the kingdom belongs to such as these. The first shall be last, and the last shall be first. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart you will not despise. 
My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Paul says, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. God doesn't value what we value, and we have to let Him speak to our hearts and see that. To let Him help us see like He sees. That the people that we can find frustrating or difficult or in the way of our big ministry plan, they were the point the whole time. That the long and sometimes frustrating journey we walk to try to accomplish some big important thing, that process was God's plan. Because it was a chance for us to see Him and follow Him and to connect with others and share the journey with them. God's kingdom is so strange to us and we so often find it difficult to see what He is doing because rather than ask Him what we should do, we make up our own plans based on our own broken approach to the world and then we ask Him to bless that instead. But if we come to the Word and let Jesus speak to us, let Him teach us, let Him show us what He thinks is most important, what He thinks are blessings, if we can humble ourselves and let go of our plans, our priorities, our goals, our way of looking at the world and people, our way of understanding what good even looks like. He wants us to enjoy these blessings too. Therefore, us too. Blessed are you if you are poor in spirit, for the kingdom of heaven is yours. Blessed are you if you mourn, for you will be comforted. Blessed are you if you are meek, for you will inherit the earth. Jesus isn't joking when he says this stuff. He really means these things, and we try to qualify them and explain them in ways that we can stomach. I was once listening to a speaker on a podcast, a respected psychologist, and he was talking about this passage, and he was trying to fix it. And he talked about this word meek specifically and how it really didn't mean what we think it means all the time. In this passage, it wasn't translated properly even though pretty much every modern English translation uses that word specifically. But actually it really meant, it didn't mean a meek, it meant a strong person who, he used the words, a strong person who knew how to fight and chose not to. Was how he phrased it. We haven't been translating it right. It doesn't really mean meekness in the way we assume. And I laughed out loud. 
Because I couldn't blame him for what he was doing. It's so hard to really believe Jesus when he says these things. And as we've said a couple of times the last couple of weeks, everyone's talking about Jesus. No one's talking to Jesus. And when we spend all our time just talking about him, we make up these kind of things trying to fix him. He doesn't work, he doesn't work right. He doesn't do it right. Surely he didn't mean that. He must have meant what makes sense to me. What I value and think is important. Turns out he aligns with that. But he just doesn't. No matter how much we try to make him fit in our world, he just doesn't. We can't make sense of him until we stop trying to mash him into our understanding and just let him be right. Let him be true. Let him teach us what's true. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul says, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those that are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. And that's what we need to see. That's what we're trying to understand in this series. The Word has spoken. And He really meant what He said. And the things that He said break everything that we think we know. But as King Solomon said in Proverbs chapter 9, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. And so we know that Jesus is God. And He is the Word made flesh. And He has taught us what His kingdom looks like if we're willing to hear Him And trust that knowing Him is the beginning of understanding. As we begin this journey, I encourage you, dig into the Word. Dig into the words and the teachings of Jesus and let Him reshape and remold your mind. Even if we've been following Jesus for a long time, sometimes those worldly, our own assumptions can creep back in and we again try to Fix Jesus and move Him around. Let's be grounded and rooted in the Word. Let Him shape and mold our minds and our hearts that we can see the world, see people like He does with the love and the grace that He does, that we can bring truth and hope and life to them like He desires. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank You for Your Word. And we thank You for the Word. We thank you for Jesus, for the Word made flesh who came and lived with us and truly understood how difficult it is to live here. He understood more fully than even we do. He experienced the things we have experienced and knows our hearts, knows our journey, knows our lives. And these are the things he told us in light of all of that. Seeing our world fully, seeing our hearts fully, this is what he said. This is what my kingdom looks like. This is what a heart yielded to God will see and understand. 
So God, we pray for that humility. We pray for that submission. We pray for the things that we've been holding on to, the ideas and the perspectives, the way we've approached the world from our own direction. God, we pray that you would reorient us, that you would turn us, that you would shape us and mold us, that we would see God, see you, see people, see the world through your eyes. That it is meekness, the poor in spirit, the soft, the gentle, the patient. God, that you will work through all these things and bring your kingdom to bear. It's not about us, it's about you. God, allow us to be used by you. Speak and move for your glory in our lives and all around us. In Jesus' name, amen.